0: Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lightspeed. Hello, and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I am your host, Jim Freund. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams, and our podcast is produced by. By Skyboat Media. Today's story is "The Lonely Heart" by Aliette de Bodard, and narrated by Susan Hanfield. This story is copyright 2009 by Aliette de Bodard. It was originally published in Black Static and is used here with permission of the author. Aliette de Bodard lives and works in Paris, where she has a day job as a system engineer. In her spare time, she writes speculative fiction. Her stories have appeared in Asimov's, Clark's World, and the Year's Best Science Fiction, and have won her two Nebulas, a Locus Award, and a British Science Fiction Award for Best Short Fiction. Her new novel, House of Shattered Wings, a murder mystery set in a post-apocalyptic Paris ruled by fallen angels, is forthcoming from Gallance. More information is available at A-L-I-E-T-T-E-D-E B-O-D-A-R-D. And now buckle up. We're going to light speed.
1: The Lonely Heart by Aliette de Badar. It was towards mid afternoon that Chun became aware of the girl. She stood before Chun's stall, watching the fake jade effigies of the Buddha and the colored incense sticks, her eyes wide in the sunlight. She was no more than 13 or 14, with the gangly unease of that age. To her left, children shrieked as they passed the Bridge of Impossibility, holding each other's hands, and went into the temple complex. The girl's hand reached towards a small statue of a demon, touched it, setting off a colored light strobe which illuminated the statue from within. Normally, Chun should have snatched the statue away and pointed out to her in a firm voice that you didn't touch the wares unless you paid. But the girl was so young, skeletally thin, her skin taut over high cheekbones, her eyes wide with fear. And she was so familiar in a way that made Chun ill at ease as young and as malnourished as Chun herself had been ten years ago, starving in the streets of Fengdu. Can I help you? Chun asked. The girl said nothing. She stroked the statue again, watching the tacky lights, as if they were the most beautiful things in Sichuan. Look, Chun said. She glanced at the footpath. The flow of tourists going into the temple had diminished to a trickle with the sweltering heat of the afternoon. If you want this, I can offer you a price. A shadow fell over the stall, cutting off the sun. Ah, Shia, a low, cultured voice said. We were wondering where you'd got yourself off to. The voice belonged to a man Tall and slightly obese, with prominent almond eyes, denoting Mongol ancestry. He'd neatly inserted himself by the girl's side, one podgy hand wrapped around her waist, the other resting coiled by his side. He wore expensive garb, and the digital camera strapped to his shoulder made it clear how wealthy he was. He was also smiling, in a cold, unhealthy way that made Chun's skin crawl. Chun knew that kind of man. She'd seen enough of them on the streets, promising food and warmth to those girls foolish enough to follow them. Foolish enough not to know about men who would peddle young flesh like a rare delicacy. Chun had always managed to run away from them, but clearly Shia hadn't been nimble enough. It shouldn't have mattered. Those who couldn't run, who couldn't scavenge, were best left behind. There was no room for pity or for charity in her life. But still, her business instincts took over. She was looking at one of the statues, she started. The girl, Shia, stood still. Her eyes as glassy and as expressionless as dead fish in the marketplace. They were pretty, she said in a small voice, a child caught stealing. The man barely glanced at the statues. Very pretty, he said. His hand had come up, was stroking her breasts in a slow, regular motion, a seemingly unconscious gesture that made Chun ill at ease. But we'd best be going, Shia. There's work to be done. I don't want to work. Shia's voice was sullen. His hand tightened over her breast, squeezed hard. Shia let out a small gasp of pain, and the man squeezed again. Chun's stomach roiled. You'll do as you're told the man said pleasantly. Shia's face was white. Chun's policy had always been to leave the tourists to themselves, whatever they might be doing. But this was too much. Look, she started. The man's gaze turned towards her, held her pinned against the wood of her stall. Yes? He said. His face was somehow sharper, more narrowly defined, and his gaze was contemptuous, as if Chun were nothing more than an insect to be dissected. Chun struggled to speak. Look, she said, and stopped again, because all her words had fled. A warning. The man's voice was still low, and unfailingly courteous, in a way which was worse than shouted threats. Don't meddle in my affairs. His hand was still wrapped around Shia's chest, but now he was stroking her again, like a favorite pet. Shia had closed her eyes, and the flush that spread to her cheeks made it all too clear what was happening. Chan, repulsed, but not about to be cowed by him, said, I don't see what you mean. The man smiled again. I know enough about you, Du Chan, he said, as amiably as if this were a business conversation. Where you scavenge your living and the sites where Li Wei works. Accidents happen so quickly when you demolish a building Now, if you'll excuse me, I have work elsewhere. With an expansive shrug, he turned around, dragging Shia with him, leaving Chun, standing shocked, behind her stall. How had he known? Not her name. That was easy enough, painted over the stall. But where Li Wei worked, how had he... He wasn't alone, she saw, waiting for him on the footpath, under the grinning statue of the underworld's executioner, were other girls too, looking as frail and lost as Shia. The man nodded to them, curtly, with a brief gaze in Chun's direction, granting her once more a taste of the abyss within his eyes. Then they were going over the bridge of impossibility, joining those already inside the temple complex. Chun knew well enough what kind of trade they'd be plying inside. What pleasures they'd try to offer the tourists. A sick taste had filled her mouth. Demons take her. Why was she so affected by him and his girls? She'd seen enough of those in the past. Enough flesh bartered for banknotes or food. Enough girls exploited by their keepers. But the taste... Was under her palate, and she couldn't swallow hard enough to dispel it. That evening, Chun took the footpath back into the city. The chairlift from the docks to Mount Minshan and its temples was a luxury reserved for those tourists who could afford it. Below her stretched the dilapidated buildings of Fengdu's old city the hollowed-out shells, which would be destroyed by the rise of the Yangtze when the dam at the Three Gorges became operational. On the opposite bank was a brand-new city, the Fengdu that would be, filled with the bustle of moving vans and workers constructing the new electrical lines. Neither she nor Li Wei had obtained a flat there. It took money and connections, of which they had neither... A few more steps, and she was at the first of the buildings, passing between the gaping holes which had once been doors, stepping over the rubble and the debris left by the demolition crews. From time to time, a few people, lost souls like her, would pass her with a curt nod, on their way to their own stolen, temporary homes, hoping to survive a few more months on what they had. At home, nigh Li Wei's mother, was playing solitaire with the Mahjong game, the plastic tiles neatly aligned on the battered table. A scuffed sheaf of yuan's, her latest earnings lay by the tiles. She looked up when Chun entered. A good day, she said, her wrinkled face creased in satisfaction. Those provincials, they don't know how to play. Chun laid her bag on the table, checked the insulation of the windows, sheets of oiled papers taped to the gaping hole in the wall. Their old ramshackle flat on the outskirts of the old city had been reduced to rubble early on. They had taken what little furniture they could and moved toward the center of Fengdu, where the hulking towers of concrete would remain standing until the end. In the dilapidated building they were occupying illegally, there was no door, no windows, no electricity. But it was enough of a place to live in, and the space, after years of living cooped up in a communal flat, was almost disorienting. How was your day? Nai Nai asked. Those tourists, they buy many souvenirs... Chun closed her eyes, thinking of the tourists, of Shia's wide, pleading eyes, and of the plump man by her side, fondling her without a trace of shame. It didn't take divination to know that the girls would still be there in the darkness, soliciting the unscrupulous among the tourists with the promise of yielding, perfumed flesh, with breasts like lotus buds, and eyes like wide almonds in the moonlight. Nausea welled up in her. Sharp, demanding, she covered her mouth with her sleeve to quell the tremor going through her. Chun? Ninai asked. Chun shook her head. I'm okay, she said. The sickening taste wouldn't go away. Why was she feeling so squeamish all of a sudden? She'd lived for five years on the streets before meeting Li Wei. Surely a few lost girls wasn't enough to make her so ill at ease. Just had a bad experience, that's all. I'll make you dinner. Nainai's gaze was skeptical. Clearly the old woman didn't believe a word Chun said, but was too polite to press her any further. Chun knelt by the camping stove... and turned it on with shaking hands. If she focused on what she was doing... she wouldn't be thinking of that man's eyes. of The whole pose that said that she was worth nothing. That she- <clears throat> If she focused on what she was doing... she wouldn't be thinking of that man's eyes. Of the whole pose that said that she was worth nothing. That Shia was worth nothing just another pond of flesh to be bartered like goods at the market. No. With slow, deliberate gestures, she set the water boiling for the rice and went back to the table to chop the vegetables into small pieces. The noise of the knife against the plastic echoed under the ceiling, long since stripped of anything that would have swallowed the noise. Li Wei came back just as night was falling. By then, Chun had lit the candles and Nainai Nai had put away her tiles and was sitting in the shadows at the further end of the room, her face as unreadable as a statue. He kissed Nainai Nai first, as was proper, mothers before wives, the old before the young. Then he was standing over Chun and bending down to kiss her. His touch tingled, like an electrical contact. Hello, he said. The spring in his step told Chun he had good news, or better news at any rate. You're not telling me something, she said. Li Wei smiled, an expression which transfigured his moon-shaped face. He was so young and so carefree so unlike the man on the temple steps who had known Chun's name and where Li Wei worked. Enough. She was getting paranoid. Let's wait until the meal, Li Wei said. I'd rather we all shared that. Chun brought the dish to the table, and they let Nai Nai pick the first piece with a deft movement of her chopsticks. Over the second dish, Li Wei said, I've spoken with the foreman today. There might be a flat in the new city. Chun, stunned into speechlessness, could only look at their living quarters, at the bare concrete walls around them, through which seeped the cold of the night, at the candles strewn on the ground and on the table, providing their pitiful defense against the darkness, at the curtain hanging over the door to hide the gaping hole left by the demolition crews. It was Nai, Nai who broke the silence. How much does he ask? She asked. Li Wei's face did not move. We have enough? His eyes said it all. It would take all they had, and they would have to live without electricity or water for a while. But it was a flat, and it would stay above water when the dam at Three Gorges became operational. Chun forced a smile. They'd been waiting for this for so long, that it almost seemed impossible that it would happen. That's great, she said, trying to feel the joy she was expressing. Trying to feel anything but her rising nausea. It's... Beyond words, she wanted to say. But her speechlessness had nothing to do with Li Wei or the flat. Nai Nai was smiling. I always knew you could do it. You're your father all over again. Li Wei shrugged. I'm not as good as him, but it's something. We'll have to... A sudden gust of wind sent the entrance curtain fluttering like a butterfly in a storm, and a cold draft filled the room. Chun, reacting by instinct, rose and went to the door to draw the curtain over it again, and stopped. For a figure stood in the corridor, limbed in the shadows, small and frail and pathetic, En Chun had no need to bring a candle closer to know her face. Shia This is trouble, Ninai said, after hearing the whole story. Shia slept on the ground, wrapped in one of Li Wei's old cloaks. She hadn't said much since coming, and it was obvious that she wouldn't ever say much. Chun had seen the fear in her gaze, a mirror of what she was feeling right now. A warning. Don't meddle in my affairs. Demons take him. She wasn't one of his girls to be cowed into submission so easily. Li Wei crouched by Shia's side, his fingers delicately closed over her wrist. Her heartbeat is strong, he said. That's not going to be the problem, Chun said, and Nai, Nai nodded. That man, she started. Chun's stomach heaved. He knew about us. I don't know how, but he has to know where we live. We have to... She stopped. Then the only option would be going to the public security station to speak to the patrolmen and reveal that for the last seven months they had been living illegally in the old city. Chun didn't know what the punishment was for that, and she didn't want to find out. But she thought of the plump man squeezing Shia's breasts like overripe fruit, of Shia's pleading eyes, and of the other girl's, grouped together like cattle at the marketplace. She wouldn't be able to live with herself if they didn't help Shia. We have to tell public security, Chun said. No, Li Wei and Nai Nai said almost at the same time. Chun, Li Wei said. We're almost there. We're going to have a real house again. I know, Chun said but look at her in the silence they all turned Shia lay in the abandon of sleep curled against the wall as if it could offer her some protection her eyes were like bruises in the oval of her face her skin was pale translucent revealing the whitish shape of her bones underneath She was shivering, a curious spasm that racked her whole body like an electrical jolt. How could anyone not pity her? Li Wei's hand rested in her tangled hair. She's so young, he said. Chun felt, once more, that unexplainably strong nausea well up in her. That's what they deal in. Li Wei, young flesh, pliant and vulnerable. What do you think public security can do, Li Wei asked. Chun spread her hands. More than we can. Do you really want to throw her out? Li Wei shook his head. She could stay here. "No," Chun said, covering her mouth with the back of her sleeve, trying to wipe out the soured taste in vain. "You know she can't, they'll know where to look for her. "I think you're overreacting," Li Wei said. Gently, almost tenderly, he started running his fingers through Shia's hair, untangling it strand after strand. Li Wei. Nai Nai's voice was firm. Your wife is right. She can't stay here. Li Wei raised his gaze towards her and said nothing for a while. At length, he withdrew his hands from Shia's hair. As you wish, Mama. But not tonight. Chun thought of the plump man taking the chairlift back to the docks, walking straight to their building in the darkness. I'd rather... She started, and then stopped. Li Wei was right. The lights in the old city had all been torn down. Crossing to the other side with only a candle would be too dangerous. Tomorrow morning, then, she said. First thing. Li Wei shrugged he still hadn't taken his eyes off Shia. At dawn, if you want. That night, Chun lay still on their bed, feeling Li Wei's presence by her side. As usual, he slept turned away from her, keeping himself separate, except when making love. He was a good man still. He had taken her from the streets, given her a home, he loved her in his own way. He wanted her not to worry about anything, not about the flat or the dam, but simply to be the heart and soul of their home, the hub around which everything revolved. She could do that. Outside the wind was rising, laughing as it coursed through the empty streets. It clawed at the oiled papers barring the windows and shook the entrance curtain as if it could tear it down, and it brought down from Mount Minshan the low, anguished moans of souls in pain. Of course, that wasn't true. They did say that the mount was one of the gates into hell and the temple a meticulous recreation of the trials the dead would undergo— But there was no hell, there were no ghosts, just the wind and Chun's imagination. She was tired and sick with fear, imagining the man searching for his lost girl. There was no hell, there were no ghosts, just the memory of a voice saying coldly, cruelly, a warning. Don't meddle. She woke up with a start, still sweating from confused nightmares in which demons pierced her with iron spikes and infernal judges from the Minshan frescoes smiled as they consigned her to the lingering death. Her heart was beating madly, a steady pulse that resonated in her throat. Li Wei was sitting by the furthest window, talking to Shia in a low voice, a soft, dim light filtered through the cracks in the oiled paper. Li Wei? she asked. He started as if stung. We're going, he said. Chan couldn't focus her thoughts, couldn't tear herself from the shackles of sleep. Be careful, she said finally. Of course, Li Wei came back to the bed and gave her a quick peck on the cheek. Go back to sleep. You worry too much. I don't worry for nothing. You haven't seen the eyes of her pimp, Chun thought. But the words wouldn't get past her lips. She watched Li Wei walk out of the building, holding Xia by the hand, and fell back against the pillow, trying to get back to sleep. When she woke, the red light of sunrise had filled the room, and the wind was still blowing, whining through the empty corridors of the building, rattling the oiled papers. It wasn't just a few gusts. There was a veritable storm out there. God, she hoped Li Wei had made it to some shelter, but of course he would. He was a smart man. Ninai was already up, smoking her pipe in the furthest corner of the room. Chun rose, rubbing at her eyes, and went to light the camping stove to cook breakfast. They left early, Nainai Nai said, pitching her voice to carry over the moan of the wind. I know, Chun said, but the sooner they can get to the station ninei barked a short unamused laugh you think public security is going to do anything more than us chun said at last she did not quite agree with ninei but of course there was no voicing her disagreement openly it wouldn't have been proper ninei drew on her pipe Chun braced herself for a puff of foul-smelling smoke, but the wind dispersed the fumes as soon as they were emitted. Nai, Nai went on. I'll tell you what they'll do. They'll smile and nod and take that girl into their station and hand her back to her keepers, who'll have paid good money to get her returned. She shook her head disapprovingly. I could have told you yesterday. You're not learning, still looking for miracles. Chan lowered her eyes. She ought to have felt some anger, to have argued against Nainai, Nai, even though it wasn't proper. But the wind howling through the building seemed to have robbed her of every emotion. Why did you let them leave then? You don't care about her, is that it? Nainai snorted. Behind her, the wind rattled the oil paper. She pressed a hand against the window to hold it into place. I've lived through a war and a revolution. I know women folk stick together if they want to survive. But it's not the girl I'm most worried about. Then, Chun started to say something, but then she realized what Nai, Nai was talking about. Li Wei's hands running through the girl's hair, his gaze lingering on her long after it should have. How could he? He's married to me, she said slowly. Fiercely, Nainai smiled. The tigress, defending her own. She drew on her pipe again, puffing her cheeks thoughtfully. You can't do anything about that. Those girls, they have training of their own. Arts you'll never master. That starving, beaten slip of a girl? And then Chun realized, chilled to the marrow of her bones, that this was Shia's attraction, the same one Chun herself had had, when Li Wei had found her on the streets, the vulnerability, the need for comfort etched in the marrow of her bones, except, of course, that Shia was younger and craftier, and consciously using everything she had to seduce unlike Chun. Did it really make a difference as far as Li Wei was concerned? (sighs) Buddha, help her. She was going to be sick again. Nai Nai had sunk back into her corner, smoking her pipe as if nothing had happened, but her carefully blank expression said otherwise. She was old and she had seen many things and couldn't mend be as weak and as naive as kittens when it came to sex? Well, she's gone, Chun said aloud. She's going to walk out of our lives as if nothing ever happened. She knew she was only talking aloud, trying to make her words weigh something in the face of the deafening wind, in the face of Ninai's expressionless features. Shia was gone. But with Li Wei. Nonsense. To calm herself before she left for work, Chun picked up the mahjong tiles and carefully started building the four-sided wall as if they were a prelude to a real game. The familiar symbols passed under her hand, dismissed as soon as she had recognized them. Three of characters two of bamboos, eight of circles, green dragon, nine of bamboos. The strips of bamboo neatly stacked on each other to build an edifice that took up the whole tile. There was no sound but the howling of the wind, rattling the oiled paper and making the tiles in her hands shake with its contained force. No sound but the rising wails, and the moaning and the screams, as if the world outside were in agony. The moaning. Chun's hand, which had been hovering over the north wind, stopped. There was something about the moaning. A gust of wind extinguished the camping stove and scattered the gas within the room. Chun, driven by habit, was rising to turn off the gas, but Nainai, closer to the stove, had already done so. Nainai said something over the roar of the wind, which Chun couldn't hear. What? she screamed, and the wind carried to her Nainai's answer. Listen. Listen to the wind? There was nothing else, just the moans, rising and rising in an ecstasy of pain. But they weren't cries from the underworld, even magnified. They clearly belonged to only two people. And she knew those sounds. She knew that voice screaming its pleasure over her in the bed... Li Wei and Shia. She was on her feet before she could think, running towards the door. Even Nai Nai's last, indistinct words weren't enough to stop her from going out. Outside, the wind was screaming its defiance, whipping Chun's coat around her, straining the buttons as if it would tear them at any moment— The moans carried by the storm were, if anything, more intense. And the wind carried Chun through the deserted streets, from one dilapidated building to another. And all the while, the moans grew, slowly, steadily, the climax not far off, hanging tantalizingly in the air. Chun's mouth was dry, and there was an... Odd, prickling feeling between her legs, as if she too was caught in that storm of lust. She walked bent, both hands holding to the lapels of her coat, and the storm engulfed her, and cradled her, and carried her to the sound of Li Wei making love as he had never made it to her, like a stab through her heart. There was a pattern to the sounds, too, an intensity that she could trace back to its source. The wind was against her now, bringing the frenzy of the lovemaking, but also a barrier against her intervention. Don't meddle. She wasn't meddling, but demons take her if she was going to lose her husband to a slip of a prostitute who could envision no other relationship with a man than lust. She trudged on, bending her head against the wind, trying to insulate herself against the sounds that seemed to be coming from every building around her. Under her were scraps of stone, metal welded into concrete and dust, flowing into her eyes until she thought she would cry. Where were they? This was hopeless, Whatever had made her think she could find them. Fengdu had been a large city, and stripped of its inhabitants, it was even larger. Over her, the wind moaned, tantalizingly spread under the vault of heaven, and she was lost, hopelessly lost, as the love making reached its climax and the moans became ecstatic. And then everything narrowed. To a pinpoint, the moans mingling into one never-ending scream, both infinite pleasure and infinite agony twisting within her chest and writhing its way up her legs, and that scream was only coming from one place. She hobbled the rest of the way, unable to ignore the effect the scream was having on her, fighting Every step of the way, to walk on, and not surrender to the desire cresting within her. Luckily, she had not far to go. In the gutted ruins of an apothecary, the faded sign still hanging over the empty shop window, promising years of felicity to the passers by, lay Li Wei, and over him was Shia, her face creased in a smile "'that twisted every feature out of place. "'She was still wrapped in Li Wei's cloak "'and its wind-whipped folds mingled "'with the cascade of her unbound hair. "'She whispered something over and over "'as she rode him, and he writhed beneath her, "'pinned to the floor, as surely as by a stake. Chun stopped, frozen in the entrance of the shop. Li Wei! The scream was torn out of her by the wind carried through the shop, echoing under the concrete ceiling. Shia looked up, and for a moment, in the abyss of her eyes, Chun saw the same expression as that of her pimp. Demons take her. And then Shia had wiggled her way off Li Wei, both hands pressing against his chest, snatching something, small and bloody from him, before she leapt through the window frame into the street. She was running now, her feet pounding against the pavement, her hair streaming in the wind. Chun staggered, through the empty door frame, and over to where Li Wei lay, still writhing and shaking in tune with the storm. His face was frozen in the agony of desire, so utterly alien from the husband who had come home to her every night. His eyes were wide open, staring upwards without seeing her. His chest, too, was open and empty, blood congealing around the gaping wound Shia had left in him. Her eyes tingled, and something was tightening in her chest. But there was no time, no time to grieve or scream or rail at the injustice of it all. Chun rose again, ignoring the protest of her muscles and went after Shia. As before, there was no other sound but the wind. And though their love making had ended, she could still hear the cries of desire, and Li Wei's screams as Shia slowly tore her way into him, slowly widened the wound until she found what she needed. There were tales of women. Dying childless, of women buried without proper rituals and snared by demons, their hearts rotting away, leaving only their hungry souls behind. But those were only stories to frighten children. Surely in the brand-new China, the one of steel skyscrapers and giant dams, there was no room for ghosts or demons or for anything so absurd but the hole in Li Wei's chest wouldn't be closed by denial he was dead better get used to it, Chen better get used to not having the flat after all to watching as old Feng Du was consumed by the rising Yangtze once and for all Better think of joining the steady flow of migrants going west into the big city, finding small jobs that only paid for another day of misery. Better not to think of Li Wei. Her eyes stung, but it had to be the wind. She didn't know where she was anymore. But far away from her, at the end of the wide, deserted street... She could see Shia's cloak, and under her feet was the trail of blood from Liwei's heart. And she was gaining on Shia. Every step was a struggle against the oncoming wind, but little by little, as the desire in her died and the moans of the wind lost their significance, the silhouette fleeing before her became more and more distinct. She didn't know what she would do when she caught up. But there was rage enough in her to face Shea and her pimp and a hundred demons from the lower levels of hell, if need be. You do not steal my husband, bitch. You do not. Ahead was the slope of the mountain and the dense, lush trees that covered it. The wrong side. "'not the one where the tourists would congregate. "'It was dark under those first trees, "'the rising sun's light cut off by the canopy. "'Panting, Chun followed the lighter color "'of Shia's cloak through the maze. "'Something was rising. "'Fog,' she would have said, "'although no fog could have withstood "'the buffets of the howling wind.' It was wet and clammy and hung over the ground as if the earth had exhaled it. The wind carried the smell of incense now and of burnt candles. Chun found a second burst of speed and stumbled into a clearing, a pit of gray light slashed through the canopy. Shia was standing, unmoving in the center of the clearing, her back to Chun. She was crooning to herself in a soft voice which somehow was stronger than the rush of the wind. Her cloak flapped in the gusts like the wings of a maddened bird. Chun walked closer, hands extended. Shia! Shia didn't move. Such... A beauty. Shia! It's mine. She'a whispered. Her cloak was fluttering around her to the rhythm of some invisible music. It wasn't only the cloak which was fluttering, was it? In fact, a stronger gust of wind lifted the cloak. And she'a's hair. And the other thing too, paler than the cloak slowly detaching itself from glistening muscles and tendons revealing the reddish white of bones and decaying flesh and the arches of her ribcage had turned slowly the skin was almost completely loose now and what was underneath had not been alive "'For a long time, there was another smell now, "'the soft, sickening one of rot, "'and there were worms crawling under the wasted muscles, "'ants flowing down the rotten mass of her hips "'in a never-ending stream. "'Only the heart held between her fingers was alive, red.' and bleeding and beating as strongly as if it had still been in Li Wei's chest. Chun's own heart was hammering against its cage of ribs, demanding to be let out. What are you? She whispered. The skin came away from Shia's face, streaming behind her, attached only to the hair and the back of her neck. Beneath were eyes as dark as congealed blood, and flesh the color of rust sloughing away as if eaten by the wind. What are you? Demons, take you! Chun screamed. Shea simply stood with the heart held against her chest. It's too late. You can't deny me. You can't put it back where it belongs. I need... She opened a yawning gap in her face, a thin line of black that had once been a mouth. I need... She said, tightening her hold over the heart. Chun's chest ached, as if the heart had been taken from it. I won't be sick, she thought. I can't... I can't think... Mine... Shia whispered. She squeezed the heart again against the glistening flesh of her innards, and it sank into her like a stone pressed into mud. Too late, Chun realized what was happening. No... She threw herself forward, trying to catch Shia before everything was over. But Shia turned away from her, and all she could grasp was the skin, and it came loose in her hands, a pelt of flesh, complete in every respect, with a healthy pink color flowing away like paint washed by the rain, revealing the yellow taint of flayed skin, crinkling like parchment against her fingers, She couldn't hold that. Her hands opened and let it fall to the ground. Mine, shea whispered. All mine. And he can't put it back now. No, he can't. Nausea, denied for so long, finally won. And Chen collapsed on the damp ground. Her whole body racked by sobs the light changed became subtly darker and the fog rose to cover everything including the skin at her feet there were shadows cast over her to darken even the dimmest light of the sun I warned you Chen, a voice said over the howling of the wind Don't meddle in what you don't understand. The plump man, Shia's pimp, stood over her, smiling as serenely as a statue of the Buddha in a temple. Chun's hands clenched into fists. You're a stubborn woman, the man went on. They were alone in the center of the clearing, with the rising fog and the combined smells of incense and rotting flesh. The thing that had been Shia had moved towards the edges, but the other girls were there, standing in an impenetrable circle. She moved back, angling toward the skin on the ground. Within the mass of decayed muscles beat Li Wei's heart, Heaving, and rippling. God, why couldn't Chun even vomit? The man turned towards Shia. And I warned you as well. We have work to do. Work? Chun managed to croak from her dry throat. The man didn't turn. He was watching Shia. And had moved to stand between her and the skin. Every dying city has its scavengers, he said. Shea, come back. Had enough, Shea whispered, and her voice wasn't human anymore. Whew. Is too hard I prefer flesh beating hearts torn from bodies How long do you think you'll last without your skin? Ew you, Shea whispered. The man nodded serenely. Dozens of hearts wouldn't replace the one you lost. It's too late for that. There are rules, and they govern every one of us from my peers in hell to lonely little ghosts like you. Demons take you, Shea whispered, and the man shook his head, amused. <laughs> An interesting notion, (laughs) but impossible, I fear. The wind tore at Shia's innards, dispersing chunks of rotting muscles in a soft patter like obscene rain. She was falling apart, a toy torn by invisible hands, but the heart was still within her, pulsing and bleeding. Li Wei's heart... Li Wei was dead. Chan had to remember that. No, not quite. The wound had still been open, still bleeding, and he had still been moving, writhing and screaming in soundless agony. Wherever Li Wei was, he wasn't gone. Not yet. There was still a chance... There had to be. If things like Shia could walk the earth, then a missing heart was such a small, insignificant thing. Easily torn away, easily put back into place. Shia had implied as much. But Shia had also said it was too late. Chun tried to find enough strength to rise but fog clung to her ankles and her calves, binding her to the ground, surely his chains. Hell is your master, the man said. Never forget that little ghost. Never. Shea crept closer, hands outstretched like claws, Tendons shone in the space between her metacarpal bones. Mine, she whispered. My kill. Mine. The man bent down and took the skin from the ground. Chun gritted her teeth and attempted to rise once more, but all strength seemed to have fled her body. This is yours as well, he said. He was still smiling, and the expression was exactly the same one he'd had in the beginning. The skin dangled between his fingers, arms and legs dancing in the wind, the mask of the face letting the light through empty eye holes and nostrils and lips. Come, Shia. Mine, Shea whispered again. But she was walking, tottering on disintegrating legs reduced to slivers of reddened bones. She was creeping forward with her odd, shivering gait. Mine. Her finger bones, closed on the skin, held it. Good girl the man said, and the wind took his words and magnified them, and the wind took the skin and lifted it out of Shia's hands, wrapping it around her whole body in less than the time for a thought. Where the thing had been was a young girl once more. Shia, as Chun, had first seen her, except that she was plumper than she had been before. And the color in her cheeks was the red of a beating heart. And she was smiling. Chan quelled the shiver that heaved through her and tried to focus on only one thing. Rising. Reaching them. Preventing them from going away. She had to... Good girl, the man repeated, as if to a favorite pet. Come, we're leaving. Chun, struggling against the weakness in her legs, watched him walk to where his girls waited. She tried to speak, but she couldn't. The girls stood silent in the dim light, each of them gaunt and famished as Shia had been. And she knew now, that her impression of seeing the bones under the skin wasn't only a fancy. She had to. Words had fled. She just wanted them to go away, wanted the sick sensation in her belly and in her womb to fade, to leave her feeling normal again, but... Wait! She croaked. Even that single word left a trail of fire in her mouth, the man paused, turned towards her, his eyes shining like beetle shells. You're still sane. Count yourself lucky, Du Chan. Some things aren't meant to be seen by mortals. He was right. She should never have taken an interest in what didn't concern her. She should never have run after Shia. She... She hadn't asked for any of it. Not for Shia to follow her home, or for Li Wei to be too weak to resist temptation. Wait, she whispered, and every word a thorn against her tongue. You have something that's mine... The man watched her as he might a butterfly pinned on a corkboard. Something of yours, <laughs> mortals, are so amusing. You, Chan whispered, and finally managed to pull herself into a sitting position. Give it back. What would you do with a heart, du Chun? Pickle it in formaldehyde and watch it wither year after year? Eat it, perhaps. It's my husband's heart. Li-Wei. She thought of day after day of enduring in their empty flat of Li Wei sitting at the end of the table, speaking of the small things of his work, never encouraging despair, never questioning what they would do after the dam had flooded the old city. I want it back. Your husband's heart. Oh, he's such a worthy man, Just the sight of a girl is enough to stiffen his manhood. Why would you want him back? Because of the flat? His voice was as cutting as a kitchen knife. You can find a house of your own. Or do you want to wonder, year after year, if he comes home late because of another girl? Chan closed her eyes. He was wrong. He had to be wrong. But the small voice within her knew that, having heard him with Shia, she would never trust him again. The man was right. Her marriage, whatever it had been before, now lay shattered, as raw and as ruined as Shia had been under her fake skin. The man went on. You're still young, and there are other means for a woman to earn her keeping. I know your other ways, Chun snapped. I won't go back into the streets, whether as a beggar or something else. Hearts are expensive, the man said, which was no doubt what he'd been driving at all along. Will pay the price for one, Du Chun, for a broken marriage and a petty home? A petty home? Home was everything she'd longed for on the streets. A dream Li Wei had finally made true. Something that was hers and that she wouldn't let that man take away from her. I don't care about your words, Chun said. This is all I have left. I won't let go of it. The man laughed then. (laughs) Greed and despair, (laughs) that's something I can understand. In a heartbeat, he'd crossed the space that separated them and was kneeling across from her, lifting her chin to stare into her eyes. His touch was as clammy as the fog. Shia has the heart, and I don't want to ruin her fun, he said, but I can do something else. Before she could even shy away, he'd bent further and put his lips to hers. If his hands had been clammy, his lips were worse. But it wasn't sweat that made them stick to her own. His tongue darted between her teeth, seeking her own, like a worm blindly questing for food. And nausea was rising in her once more, traveling upwards from her stomach into her lungs, into her mouth, but still. He held her, and still his lips were pressed against hers, and his eyes, as black as crushed beetles, still held the same inhuman amusement. When he broke off the embrace, a tremor was running through her. The nausea was unbearably strong, bringing with it the taste and the smell of rotten flesh and and crushed, bloodied bones, a spike arcing from her stomach into her mouth. Something gave, finally, and putting both hands on the packed earth, she opened her mouth and started heaving, as if she could remove the taste and smell of him from her palate. Nothing came, just the same sickening taste The prelude to retching with nothing behind, her esophagus contracted once, twice, and something tore within her, deep within her chest, and climbed upwards into her lungs and her windpipe, leaving a trail of slime within her. A final heave, and she spat it on the ground at her feet, red meat, glistening in the returned sunlight. This will do as well as the old one, I should think. The man bent again and stroked her breasts as he had once stroked Sheas, hardening his grip in small, sudden gestures. It didn't hurt as much as it should have, but the same feeling of nausea, of disorientation was rising within her, mingling with the tightening in her womb, as if some door within her were closing shut forever. Goodbye, du Chun. It was a pleasure doing business with you. His hands withdrew but the tightening was still there and the taste in her mouth in the dry, stretched feeling of emptiness within. At the edge of the clearing, the man paused before joining his companions. Do give my regards to your husband. And then he was gone. They were all gone, and only the wind remained, singing the song of the dead in her ears. (laughs) She had never heard a sweeter sound. Slowly, carefully, she pulled herself upwards the last tendrils of fog vanished as she did so and retraced her steps back to the plaza, cradling the heart against her chest. She felt drained, empty, stretched as thin as rice paper. In the shop, Li Wei was still lying where she had left him, still writhing without consciousness, although his gestures were weaker than before. She didn't think. She couldn't afford to. Not now. With the same careful, slow gestures, she laid the bleeding heart within the bleeding wound, and put both hands on the edges and pushed. The skin writhed against her touch, refusing to yield. But she didn't move, and presently the edges of the wound met in a hiss and closed, as if nothing had ever happened. Li Wei's eyes closed and opened again, and this time, he looked straight at her. Chan! Uh, what am I doing here? Where is... Shia? He pulled himself into a sitting position, and looked around, bewildered. Shh. She's gone. Everything... Is going to be all right," Chun said, and gently wrapped her cloak around his nakedness. Come on. Let's go home. Nai Nai will be waiting for us. As they walked home in the streets of the dying city, the wind blew over them, whipping their clothes around them in a frenzy. Li Wei shivered and pressed himself closer to Chun, But Chun just trudged on. And it seemed to her that the touch of the wind on her skin was happening outside of her under something that she wore like a cloak, but which didn't belong to her anymore.
0: Welcome back. You have been listening to Susan Hanfield read The Lonely Heart by Elliot de Baudard. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or the social media venue of your choice. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams. If you are not already a subscriber to our Hugo Award winning magazine, Check out our many options at lightspeedmagazine.com slash subscribe. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy Award-winning narrators Stefan Rupnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Music and sound logos are composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Post-production for Lightspeed is in association with yours truly. Lightspeed Year One includes all of the podcasts from Lightspeed's first year. This audiobook story collection is available from audible.com as well as downpour.com. Just search for Lightspeed and you're on your way. Our podcast this week is sponsored by our friends at Tor. This podcast is copyright 2015 by Lightspeed Magazine. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. See you on the bitstream. I'm Jim Freund, wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed.
1: Contained herein
0: are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling-medical-investigator,